Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, March 19th, and this is your FT News Briefing. After a day of wild global market swings, the ECB said it would launch a new bond buying program to respond to the financial upheaval caused by the coronavirus. Jillian Tett and Angelie Raval will tell us what's behind some of those swings. Plus, bottlenecks in the healthcare supply chain have come into focus as COVID-19 spreads. The FT's Hannah Kushler explains what some governments and factories are doing to produce what's in short supply. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program. That's what the European Central Bank is calling a new bond-buying initiative that it announced on Wednesday night. Under the plan, the ECB will buy an additional 750 billion euros worth of sovereign bonds and corporate debt this year. It also relaxed rules to allow banks to raise money against more of their assets, all in an effort to boost financial markets that have been thrown into chaos with the spread of the coronavirus. Wednesday was yet another day of volatile trading. Government bonds sold off while sterling tumbled to its lowest point since the 80s. Brent crude oil fell below $25 a barrel. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 fell more than 5 percent, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average erased nearly all of its gains since Donald Trump's inauguration. Jillian Tett is back with us to explain Wednesday's market swings. To a certain extent, these dramatic market swings reflect the fact that you have a lot of asset managers unwinding trades that have been built up in recent months. So there is a case to be made that the drama of the swings is partly down to what people call technicals, which is that there's a lot of forced selling going on in the marketplace as asset managers have suffered losses from earlier movements and essentially have to dump almost anything they can find to try and cover those losses. So that should eventually flush out of the system, but it does mean that the dramas in the markets are very striking right now. But in addition to that, we also have a growing realization in the markets amongst investors that the coronavirus will not be a short-lived event. It could go on for many months, that the economic damage is going to be much more dramatic than anybody had previously expected. There are some truly eye-popping forecasts coming out now from some of the big economists and big banks, and that that's going to force governments to take some really extraordinary measures, which could have long-lasting consequences. And in the U.S., Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has reportedly warned senators that unemployment in America could reach as high as 20 percent if nothing is done to help workers and, and small businesses. Well, the anecdotal stories that are emerging all over America right now on the ground are truly horrifying. There are job centers saying that they're seeing a dramatic 20, 30-fold increase in the levels of unemployment claims. You're seeing stories about people being put onto zero-hour contracts, which is a particularly brutal outcome for them because it means they can't even claim unemployment insurance. And you're seeing, frankly, a lot of shuttered businesses and restaurants and hotels and things like that. So 20% is not a fanciful number. And it also chimes with some of the predictions coming out of the big Wall Street banks right now, which are suggesting that what happens in the next quarter of the year could be as brutal a slowdown or economic crunch that we've seen, frankly, since the Great Depression. Now let's turn back to oil. 
the price of which has become another victim of the coronavirus outbreak. Demand for oil has plummeted as work and travel lockdowns come into effect across the globe. Prices have sunk over the past two weeks, exacerbated by the ongoing price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. The FT's Anjali Raval has more. Obviously, these are massive, massive falls we've been seeing over the last sort of couple of weeks. And it's coming on top of this widespread market turmoil. And it's all compounding into this one huge meltdown. And a huge reason we're seeing this is because a few weeks ago, OPEC tried to lower oil production, but Russia didn't agree to the deal. And it set off this whole price war between Moscow and and Riyadh. Now, it seems Russia could be thinking differently about this whole thing. So there seems to have been a shift in tone from the Russian side. Last week, there was this, uh, there's a lot of bravado saying we can tolerate prices at any level. And to some extent, they can. They've got a huge amount in terms of their currency reserves and whatnot. And they are able to withstand this probably better than a lot of OPEC producers. But we've seen comments from the Kremlin essentially saying, look, we'd like oil prices to be a bit higher. And then also separate comments from the finance ministry saying, actually, we're going to take a massive hit to our government revenues with oil prices at these levels. So this is a slight shift. But even with this messaging, at this very stage, it doesn't seem like either side is willing to back down. In the last few days, Saudi Arabia has gone out of its way to message to the wider world that they are willing to stick with this strategy. You know, they want to sort of supply the world with 12.3 million barrels a day. This is way above what they were producing before. And essentially, they're trying to hammer home the message that at a time when oil demand is collapsing, they are flooding the market with crude and they mean business. And Angelie, do you think that oil prices at these levels and further falls might get these two countries back at the negotiating table talking again? I think that's the hope within Saudi Arabia and also among other big producer nations. Because remember, even if Saudi Arabia is putting all this oil out there into the market and Russia is doing the same, there is a limit to how much oil these global storage tanks can take. If countries were expecting that U.S. shale production would take a hit and would balance the market and that would be enough, you know, they've really got another thing coming. That's not going to be the case. So there is this growing sentiment and it's quiet at the moment, but it will build, I'm sure, in the next few weeks that the only solution is for global producers to come back to the negotiating table and implement a massive cut to production in the face of this demand collapse. Global systems for rushing out tests are buckling under the strain of the coronavirus pandemic. And it's not just tests. Ventilators are in high demand for its victims, too. But with all this demand, the global healthcare supply chain is being pushed to and possibly beyond its limits. I talked to the FT's Hannah Kushler about how hospitals and testing labs are struggling to get the supplies they need. I think it's clear that no one is prepared for a pandemic of this scale. And that is everyone from you know, the hospitals that are having to cope with huge numbers of patients that need intensive care beds and ventilators, down to the testing labs and even the supplies that are going to the testing labs, you know, whether it be chemicals to make the tests work or even swabs that take the samples out of people's mouths. All right. uh, Let's get into some specifics here. Let's start with testing. Obviously, in some parts of the world, these tests are in short supply. Where are we seeing this 
the short supply the most and uh, what is being done to try and increase the flow? So the, the supply chain for testing materials is actually pretty global. So despite the fact that lots of different countries have made their own tests, they're all often relying on the same suppliers. So we've seen lots of countries have problems getting hold of what's called an RNA extraction kit, which basically is the chemicals that are used to take the virus's genetic sequence out of the virus and you know you need to isolate you need to isolate that from the sample in order to actually um, then go on and identify it the main one of the main suppliers of that has been a german company kyagen they have factories in germany spain and the us and they've been gearing up production massively Regulators have been trying to loosen um, requirements so that you, you know, originally everyone thought they had to get these kits from this supplier. They've said, you know, there are other suppliers, we accept this, this and this, but it's still not enough to cater to the number of people that want to get tested. And turning away from the test, focusing a little bit on ventilators, obviously uh, the need for them is pretty acute at this point. What, what are we seeing in terms of the production of, of these ventilators? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, perhaps one of the most important issue is that you know, so many of the patients suffering from COVID-19 need help breathing and hospitals are not set up to have enough ventilators. So the ventilator situation is really interesting in the UK. There's been discussion of encouraging manufacturers of other things, especially because some of these manufacturers are you know, pausing their lines for other reasons to switch to making ventilators. They've shared the plans with them of how to make these ventilators. In the US, we're just hearing GM is in discussions with the government about whether they could switch to making some ventilators. But I think this is really where the global supply chain is going to be highlighted. You know, in previous pandemics, when you you could use acts like Trump invoked the Defense Production Act, which basically allows them to you know, take over factories and you could use it and you could have the supply chain because the supply chain was probably in the next town. That's not the case here. So even if you manage to try and take over factories and make ventilators, are you going to have all the supplies you need? You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.